Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Happy Throwback Thursday, everybody. It's that time of the week, everyone. Happy uh, Thursday. Happy Thursday. Kevin, I'm, I'm going to just tell you this very, very quickly um, mm-hmm. because I think I'm going to need help. <laughs> So I Uh-oh. was I, I got home. We just had rehearsal for Spam a lot, which is at fifty four below this Sunday, May sixth. Thank you. Good seven luck. o'clock and nine thirty. Thank you. Nice job. Wait, what time? Seven o'clock and nine thirty. On Sunday. On Sunday, May sixth. So please come out and uh, come support. Anyway, long story short, I got home and I was like, Oh, I'm starving, but I don't want to cook anything. So I went on to Grubhub. Kevin, guess what oh, delivers oh to gosh. my apartment now? What do you have there? Do you see it? Chicken fries. From? No. <laughs> from Burger King. <laughs> Burger King now delivers to me. So it's your favorite. <laughs> it's really my favorite. So we're gonna have a lot of issues here. Oh, I'm really dear God, uh, Rob. I'm really oh this isn't God. this is not gonna end well for anybody. <laughs> so God. Those little guys are good. Those little guys. <laughs> We so to full disclosure, everyone, when we were working on Merrily We Roll Along, we would sometimes occasionally Go to Burger King. Occasionally and, being every day. Uh, before rehearsal. <laughs> every day before rehearsal. I would stock <laughs> up on my fries, chicken fingers, and onion rings. So anyway, this is not pretty. Anyway, um, let's jump right in because I really want to eat my chicken sandwich before it gets cold. We have much to talk cold. about. Yeah. We do. So let's start at the beginning. So as we know, this week, um, the Tony nominations were announced for the 2017-18 right. season. We are I going know. to be discussing that, though, on a future broadcast. Right. When Tony Awards historian Brian Hobgood joins us again, <laughs> so so we will we will table the discussion on the nominations until our Tony week. Right when we all chat together, like well, we usually do, like we all do. And but very yeah. quickly though, did you get to watch the announcements on New York One, or did no, you? No, uh, I, I I read about them. I and I read about you know <laughs> there's a couple names that were mispronounced. And I was just gonna say, um, Leslie Odom Jr. <laughs> and Catherine McPhee. First of all, I mean, I I don't. God bless them for waking up that early and doing it. Well, that's why I didn't watch it live. <laughs> I, I, you did, though, Rob. I got up what at six thirty and I sat I with a cup of coffee in front of the you. TV and watched her say, you know, that it was that's Rogers and Hammerstein's yep. carousel. Hey, and you say potato. I say Hammerstein. You could say Oscar Hammerstein, <laughs> or you can say it incorrectly, and they went the incorrect way. And at first, <laughs> and I got at first, I was like, okay, well, you know what? She's maybe not really a theater person per se, right. so maybe she wouldn't know. And then Leslie Odom Jr. was like, and Rogers and Hammerstein's Carousel, mm-hmm. and then she had trouble with SpongeBob. Um, but it reminded yeah. me. We talked about this on a previous broadcast. The Liz Taylor, when Liz Taylor would do award shows, and she had no idea what anyone's name was, and she just giggled herself through it. Yeah, We've mentioned this once before, and if I can find it, we'll post it. Uh, but go to watch Catherine O'Hara do her Liz Taylor impression at an award show, which yes. is kind of genius. Okay, so anyway, we're going to talk about that next week. But awesome, there's a lot of other stuff going on here that was happening this week and the week previously. And speaking of Tony Awards, it did not happen this year, but they're hoping it'll happen in future years. And that's a Tony Award for Best Ensemble. Oh yeah, the best ensemble Tony Award. So Kevin, let's we'll start right at the beginning, which is a very good place to start. What <laughs> are, What are your thoughts on giving a Tony Award for an ensemble? Well, as someone who has been a member of many an ensemble, um, who wouldn't want that, you know, as an ensemble? I would be. It's another category that I think is hard to quantify 
Uh, and then, um, do you give everybody a Tony? Does like, is it like that? I, well, when when you hear <laughs> like when when I hear best ensemble, does that mean you like, know if the if the cast is twenty six people, does that mean all twenty six people get a Tony Award? Does it mean that anybody that's not a principal gets a Tony Award? Is it is like that, come from away where it's like an ensemble cast, like or falsettos, you know, that, or, like they, you know, do they all get one? And then they also get another Tony because they were also you know the leading actor as well. Do you know what I'm saying? Though, yeah, like, no, I know exactly yeah. what you're saying. And is it is, is there going to be a best ensemble play and a best ensemble musical? Are they going to lump everybody together? Good questions, Rob. Um, so I don't know how this is going to work. Um, are you opposed to seeing this category entered into the oh, roster? No comment until I understand the questions because it, it's Great. too there's too many caveats. Like it's just like well, I don't that's know. Crazy. I mean, I, you're, you you are a member of Actors' Equity. I am not a member of Actors' Equity, but mm. I don't know if you saw on your website they put up an advertisement <laughs> um, a- asking for uh, or to remind people that come next year they would like to see a Tony Award for Best Ensemble. And I scrolled on the comments, more mm. of them negative than positive, uh, mm-hmm. and the first comment was an Actors' Equity member saying, please stop spending my dues money on this advertising. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds exactly right. Yeah. But then I also actually, you know, what was so nice was I saw a lot of actors say, before you give us this award, we'd like to see music directors get recognized. Oh, wow. So yeah. there's, there, I think they, there's some prioritizing to be done, but actors' you equity. Know, it's re- tough because, okay. yeah, no, go, I'm sorry. No, no, please, Ben. No, I was just going to say it's tough because everyone's, every part of this industry that's a part of a Broadway musical is proud of what they do and it's a craft. So I, I think it is understandable why everybody wants to be recognized for that. You know, music director. Yeah, that makes sense. Like the music director's in charge of all the music An ensemble. Yeah. A, a, an amazing ensemble, like of a chorus line or something, or I can think of many ensemble shows that were extra special that you think, but I feel like it's more of a special Tony a situation oh, and an actual year to year ensemble. Very award. interesting. That's that's yeah. a really interesting point. Well, so we'll see. It's obviously not going to happen for this ceremony, right. but we'll see what happens in the future. So Actors' Equity is pushing that. And another thing that Actors' Equity is oh. pushing is something that we had <laughs> talked about last week, and that is the famed gypsy robe. No, the famed robe. Just the robe. That's so all you can say, Rob. You, I mean, who wants to, for our listeners who might not be unaware, who wants to explain what the gypsy robe is? I feel like you should do it because you were in ensembles and you got to experience this. Can um, we just say go listen to the last Thursday's episode? No, no, we cut that part out. Oh, we did? We cut oh, that part shit. out. I'm sorry, Bob. Start again. No, no, no. It's fine. We're gonna leave, I'm leaving it in now. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> now you're on the spot. So what is it? Who wants to talk um, about it? So, uh, the the gypsy robe. Uh, a, a quick little two sentence history, if I will try, is it's uh, given at the start so of sorry, every single. Bro- Kevin, very quickly, would you be offended if I put the mic down and it had a chicken tender while you gave this explanation? As long as you actually do cut this out. Please hold. <laughs> You're not keep, gonna cut it out. No, no, keep going. I'm gonna have my chicken tender. Keep going. Uh, <laughs> The gypsy robe, um, yep, looks like a good, it's not a chicken tender, it's a chicken fry. Uh, and uh, so, <laughs> you, made, you just made a face. Um, yeah, the gypsy robe, it, it, every, um, it, it's in the 40s, 50s, early Broadway, um, the dancers and singers, ensemble members would go from show to show, and they were often known as gypsies because they traveled from show to show. Uh, eventually, in like the 40s, I think, 1947, around then, Rob, you would know, um, it, they started to celebrate the person who was in, well, now it's the person who was in um, the most Broadway shows. Um, and so it's awarded at the start of every uh 
Broadway show at the opening uh, backstage before the show starts, and it's a whole ceremony, and um, it's a it's a special thing to honor um, the pretty much the person who's like survived the longest in the business, <laughs> really, in many ways, and it's it's really special, and it's it's a very positive, happy thing, and now. Um, there is talk that the, the, the moniker gypsy robe is, is offensive, um, to which I say, um, head scratch a little bit, but I will understand if, if, if I could just read some more information on it, but I just haven't read enough that convinces me. So you, so as of this point, you think the name should stay the gypsy robe? I, I think so. Until I, you see evidence that says I, otherwise. I, well, yeah. If there's the, are we offending like a Romanian community that like it, that, was in the ensemble of Bajor, Bajor and uh, <laughs> or <It's> so, or <laughs> very fun. Uh, you know, it's so funny. I had a lunch with Walter Marks a couple of weeks ago, who wrote Bajor. Oh, just drop that one, uh, Rob. Yeah, wow. It's not really. By the an, way, uh, he, by the way, guys, he, uh, he he wrote the music to to Bajor. Just to and it's it's also not an impressive name drop when you have to explain who the person's <laughs> name is that you're dropping. By the way, so I, I don't know. I would say ten percent of our listeners know who he is. So Walter Marks um, wrote Bajor, and he also wrote Golden Rainbow. He wrote the scores right. to both. But we were talking, and 40%. and I said, oh, you know, I really love Bajor, and I, you know, I hope it's something that like gets done at some point, in, like in an encores type setting. And he goes, oh no, he goes, we can't do that show anymore. It's all about gypsies, and you're not allowed to say gypsies anymore. So he 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 was he was okay. very which is so very funny. PC. He was, he well, was, I guess we have to. I guess. I mean, but what about the musical Gypsy? Well, it's going to be called Rose, which is what it should have been called from the fucking beginning. Should you have been called really Rose. Will change it? You think it'll change? No, it? no, 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 no. All right, but I'm just I'm I'm making a slight. That was joke. funny. That was good. A slight but, joke, a very slight joke. But know. you know, but what I find so interesting in this debate is, and like you know, I'm like. I am not part of a gypsy tribe, I so I cannot speak of who should be offended and who shouldn't be offended because those are not the shoes that I walk in. Um, right. But Patrick Page, who uh, currently right now is starring in St. Joan uh, and was fantastic in St. Joan, and I'm surprised he didn't get a Tony nomination, but we'll talk about that next week. He, on his Facebook, was saying, he goes, so what happens when a member of Actors' Equity says, I am Jewish and I'm offended how Shylock is portrayed in The Merchant of Venice? Does that mean that we stop doing The Merchant of Venice? Uh, and he gave a whole bunch of um, analogies, and so it's I, I don't know where this is going, and then I'm going to dovetail, so we, we will keep you updated as the gypsy robe thing comes in, but please let us know how you feel about it. Cause we'd like to hear, you know, both pro and con signs on both of the arguments, but because things are getting a little bit more, uh, heightened now or heated, I should say about what is happening in this community. That also leads to the next topic I wanted to discuss, which is West side story. Wow. You're really hitting it tonight. Well, Rob, you know, with we're, these, we're trying, these issues. Kevin, Kevin you said <laughs> you'd like to be topical serious. and now we're going to be topical. So as I'm sure as our listeners know, um, the, uh, they were doing a concert version of West side story in London. And for the role of Maria in this concert, they cast Sierra Bacchus, best known as Ariel in the little mermaid, um, that was on Broadway. Um, and there was a backlash saying that she was not Hispanic, she was not Latina, so she should not have accepted the role, nor should she have been offered the role of Maria. Uh, and after, I believe, a week and a half or so, finally Sierra pulled out and said, because it was a concert, I thought this would be okay, and obviously it isn't so. I'm so sorry, and you know, good luck. And a lot of people, there, there was a couple of arguments. One was good for her, she, you know, she made the right call. The other half was saying she shouldn't have accepted it to begin with. Where are we... On this, where are we on this? Should we have? 
I don't know. I mean, I don't really care. I mean, I, I think she did it. I think it was fine that she did it the way she did. But I, you know, but if I'm not of that community, so I can't, you I'm... know, I... I was not offended. I didn't really. It wasn't on my radar, to be perfectly honest. Oh, sure. I well, didn't really, really know came about out it. Of nowhere. Yeah, and so to be perfectly honest, I thought the fact that she issued a statement about it, and I thought, uh, whatever. It's like, well, come on, show business is such a small little like, you know. <laughs> come on, I mean, yeah. it's great that the show is getting done, and I'm glad that it is should be a Latina and in, in that show definitely. But I think the way it was handled was fine. I my feeling is this I I do not think she should have been offered the role but I don't th- I don't think people should be angry at her she's a working actress who needs to pay her rent and feed herself so my feeling is this should never have been her decision to make in the first place the producers and casting directors from the beginning should not have even offered this to her and put her in that position because I, it's very hard to turn down work and I don't think it's her responsibility to be the moral compass of the world or the moral compass of this production oh sure I mean so yeah, that's, that's I, I, I will say this though yes. um, West Side Story can be done by opera companies and the rules are completely different with opera companies you have people in yellow face you have people I mean like they I mean it, it is it is a different world. So if there are opera people in West Side Story, then I can understand why they would have, mm. you know, they would break those rules because it is it was at Royal Albert Hall. I mean, that could be like an opera presentation. I don't know. If there were other opera people in the cast, then I would find it interesting. But well, they've re- oh, so sorry. No, that's it. That's I was going to say, yeah, I think your opera argument is valid because only recently have they stopped having Otello's in blackface. Oh, that's right. And that's recent. That's like within the past two, three years that that's changed. Okay, so more on that and non. And then finally, before our favorite things, Kevin, uh, in the court systems, we have To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, my God. I don't. Mm-mm. Are you nope. following this or no? No, not, so not at all. So Scott Rudin uh, commissioned Aaron Sorkin to write a stage adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird, directed by Bart Shear, and it was going to star Jeff Daniels and Celia Keenan-Bolger. Um, and the Harper Lee estate is now saying that he violated, that Scott Rudin and Aaron Sorkin violated the contract because it's drastically changing the character of Atticus Finch. They've taken it to court because Scott Rudin has said, hey, this lawsuit is making us lose investors. And the court said to Scott Rudin, we need to see um, what the intended uh, intention is of the character of Atticus Finch. So you have 15 days to videotape a reading of the production. So within 15 days, Scott Rudin and Wonderful. need to videotape a production of kill, their version of To Kill a Mockingbird and submit it to a judge. That's crazy. Which I think somehow the, what's happening behind the scenes might be more interesting than what we eventually see on stage. Yeah. Um, so well, it is going to go to court. It is going to court. It's too. in court. It's in court. Cause, tri- yeah, because yeah, Scott Rudin is saying, he goes, this, 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 is hel- this is preventing investors from investing in this show. No. So we shall see. Now. There we are. Now we're all caught up in contemporary issues. We feel really good about ourselves, and now we're going to go jump back into the past. Get with, a chicken finger. Without our favorite things. So what are, should I eat my chicken finger because you're going to go, go first, or it. shall I go first? I, I feel like I, I'll go first, so you can eat your chicken finger. Oh, is it because I did a lot of talking? No, no. Okay, I just you thought you might want a chicken finger right now, you know? Well, I always you want were a, talking. I always want a chicken finger. All right. Okay, I'm going to have a little bite. I'm putting the mic down, but I'm still listening. Because you watch, <laughs> you, you see me. So you, you see that I'm, I'm going to... Okay. Right, you're going to guess this, but I think okay, you're going to okay, know no, it right okay, away. Okay, okay, go um, ahead. But it's a book. I'm surprised that we haven't talked about it yet. 
Mm. Um, and I think I mentioned it to you the other day, but um, I, I, I had, it's one of those books that was on my shelves for years and years and years, and I never really read it. And then I finally read it, and I thought, why has this been waiting there for so long? Is this um, that artist way bullshit again? No. <laughs> It's literally been years. Just, just very quickly, any any artist that. who tells me about the artist way looks like the most uptight, frazzled person I've ever seen in my life. And they're like, you got to read the artist way. It changes your life. And I'm like, you all look so... It's like people who do yoga. They are like, they, they're like, oh, it's very peaceful and very zen. I'm like, why are you speaking through a clenched jaw at me? <laughs> so I don't understand the point of the artist's way, but that's not what you're talking it's about. So then that. I'm going to shut up about it. So go ahead. It's an autobiography. An autobiography. Okay. Uh-huh. And, um, and it, it's a legendary, legendary director and playwright. You're going to know right away. A legend. Wait a minute. A legendary director and playwright. Uh, of which a film and play has been written based on this book. He a wrote fi- often with another fella. Is this Act One? Yeah. Do you know I've never read it? Oh my gosh! I've seen the I've, oh, I saw the play that James uh, Lapine did a few years ago. Well, I want to buy it for you. It is my my book was falling apart, so I had to throw it out. I was like literally as the as I, as I read a page, the page would fall off. It was an old paperback. It is a very special book by Moss Hart. He wrote it in 1959. He was probably in his 50s when he wrote it. Um, it is a reflection on the first oh I would say the first you know quarter of the first half of his life, basically his childhood, which was very impoverished, impoverished um, in New York City childhood, uh, up until he wrote his first uh, successful collaboration with um, Moise Kaufman. I mean, Kaufman and Hart, as everybody knows them today. Um, and this book, first of all, it, what's fascinating to me is that it is a book that is clearly dated. I mean, you know that you are in the 19, early 1900s, and you can feel that and sense that. But the problems that he goes through, the the struggle he has as a, as an artist trying to find his way, just the struggles he is as as an adolescent, are all very very relatable, especially to people like us who are in the arts, who very much had a childhood like that as an adolescent. Um, you go through his childhood working summers. And upstate, not the Catskills, but up in the Adirondacks at those old Ooh. camps, like or Vermont, the Green Mountain. And he was one of those like camp counselors, um, like Jack Cassidy and Wish You Were Here. Um, and so he was, he would put on skits and all of that, and he became a playwright. And it, and it just, it the book really celebrates his struggles and how he found success out of every single failure that he had um, in his childhood and his upbringing. Um, and you really get a, a bird's eye view of what the business was like on Broadway back then. And I mean, I had, <laughs> when he's a kid and he's comes downstairs, can you get a real understanding of what Kaufman was like? And I was kind of his neuroses and they come down from writing and there's all these, all the most famous theater people are in the, in the having tea. And he's like, you know, 20. And it's just, I had chills. Like I, I, he paints such a vivid picture of what it's like, um, to be a part of show business and how proud he is. And, um, cause he was reflecting on this some 20, 30 years later. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I, it's a fascinating quick read. It's, it's actually a page turner in many ways. Um, and I, I think you, you got to read it, Rob. And I think our listeners sh- should definitely pick up a copy. Uh, I've not seen the play, so I, I didn't, and I actually haven't seen the movie either. And I would like to see the movie cause I just I, really enjoyed this. The story is just, it's riveting and yet it's just this guy's life. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's like with the people we interview, Rob, you know, it's, it's, they say, well, we, I just got lucky in this one time, but it, I was ready for it. I was prepared and I worked my butt off, but it just was this one opportunity. And this book shows you the inside view of that opportunity. Oh, that's so fascinating. That's really, really interesting. I, I mean, the play, I liked the play. 
Um, and I didn't even know there was a movie version of this. Do you know who oh, was yeah. in the movie by any chance? Uh, or 1962. No? Uh, I don't. I think I didn't write it. down. Oh no, no, uh, that's okay. I've, I didn't even know there was a, a film no. version of this. So I'm. Yeah. 1963. 1963. Okay. Yeah. Which is so funny because I'm a huge fan of the Kaufman and Hart plays. Yeah, and you got to Rob. It's so fascinating because as a director, you see how they created these plays because they really go through how they drafted them and they would stay up all night and and it wasn't right and how it, uh, one play that was so successful was such a failure because the fourth act was all messed up and they it, it's the just fourth the fourth act oh you, know, or what it, you know yes nobody right. years that they went through to change the formula of what a play was on yeah. Broadway so yeah oh. it's uh, I just uh, yeah act one act one and autobiography by Moss Hart. Dun, dun. <laughs> can I can I uh, borrow your copy? No, mm, it's gone. I told you. Oh, it's I. Gone. Oh, okay. Well, I. Th- oh, okay. Dust in the wind. It was literally a paperback book that was falling apart, and it, it as I would, it, the bind the binding was so gone that every time I turned a page, it was falling out. Okay, then maybe you can read it to me on a book on tape. Could you put it as a book on tape and just read it to me? <laughs> can you imagine? I would love to, I would love to hear you read me a book on tape. No, you don't want me. that. Okay, well, fine, fine, fine. Maybe you'd like my favorite thing then instead of a book on tape. Ah, uh, yeah, bring it. Nice, good segue as he takes a sip of his Diet Coke. <laughs> oh, my God, man. The fact that Burger King now delivers, this is not... This I'm, I've me. been trying to lose weight, and this, this is, is not going to do it. This, the, this That's is, okay. This, this episode Cheat should day. literally be Cheat sponsored day. by Burger Every day is a cheat day. A cheat day turns into a cheat month, which turns into a cheat year, which is going to turn into a cheat, cheat life. Lifetime. Um, okay, uh, so cheat life. okay, yeah. So it, I, a couple of things here. So I'm going to be talking about a, a C day, a C day, a CD today. Yeah, an album per se. Um, so a cat album. No, 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 no. So I'll give you a little history on this. So as you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Kevin and I did uh, Alice in Wonderland in concert, the 1985 uh, horrible television movie, which is, a, if you've never seen that, that should be a favorite thing at some point. Rob making a, not a, a stage acting singing appearance just to put that out there everybody and he was amazing and so freaking funny continue oh shucks kevin i'm blushing so anyway um i sang a song called the lion and the unicorn and um i did it brilliantly and it's It's going it's it's going to be all the all the kids are going to sing it for showcase this year so so get ready um (laughs) um wait a minute i just got an email from you did you send me an email while i'm talking to you no. I said you accepted an invitation from, from me. Well, I accepted that, yeah, for oh. John Lee Beatty. Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> I was like, are you listening to me? Please. <laughs> I, I can I tell have. that you're doing it work. It up in like the corner. Okay, 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 okay. We're fine. We're fine. Um, so anyway, uh, so so it was a, the number was a duet, and the my, my scene partner was a gentleman by the name of Steve Tipton, who, if you listen to the Theater People podcast or Broadway Backstory or True Crime Obsessed, Steve is the husband of Patrick Hines. Shout out Patrick Hines. Hi, Patrick. Who's the, the mastermind and genius of so many wonderful podcasts. So anyway, um, I just said to Steve, I said, oh, yeah, you know, I do a podcast as well. And he goes, oh, great. Um, so he's also loves old Broadway the same way we do. And he wrote me a really long email talking about some of his favorite things. And one of these favorite things is something that I was like, oh, I don't even know about this. So this this is a Steve Tipton suggestion, and I think it's wonderful. It is an album. It is okay. available on Amazon and iTunes and Apple Music. By the way, I cannot stress enough, 
if you do not have an Apple Music account, get an Apple Music account because for $9.99 a month, all of the J Record catalog is on there. All of the Columbia thing is on. I mean, literally, all those, remember all those old cabaret CDs we used to make fun of that was like <laughs> featured in Show Magazine where it was like some guy with like bleach tips and like Karen Mason. Lee, 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 Lee Lessig. Yeah, Lee Lessig. Oh my God. Yeah. All of Lee Lessig's CDs are on there. And like Karen Mason singing into a blow dryer, like hair today, <laughs> belt tomorrow, whatever the fuck it was called or some shit like that. Anyway, it's all on there. So this CD is on there as well. It is not in that category. It's in a different category. And this is the uh, solo show debut, the debut solo show of a Broadway legend. And it's the first time she's ever doing a cabaret. And she recorded it in 2000 at Joe's Pub. And the reason I listened to it was Steve said to me, he goes, I think it's the uh, most perfect example of a cabaret structure out there. It's the perfectly structured cabaret. And I listened to it, and I have to agree with him wholeheartedly. This is a wonderful album. It's from 2000 and recorded at Joe's Pub. And the album is called... Yes, I'm on the edge of my seat! Faith Prince... A Leap of Faith. (gasps) It's called Faith Prince, A Leap of Faith. And it's everything. It's not only Faith singing, but it's also her patter as well. And thank God they kept it all in because the patter is absolutely hysterical. So first of all, if you don't know Faith Prince, um, Kevin talked about her a little while ago on Guys and Dolls off the record. Um, She was a a really a workhorse of a... are, Are you adding it? It's on Spotify, yeah. It's on Spotify, great. Yeah. Um, a workhorse of an actress who really made a splash in Jerome Robbins Broadway, and then that led to her being Adelaide in the 1992 Guys and Dolls revival, which sort of catapulted her to um, a higher plane. Uh, since then, she did Little Me, and then, right, right, okay, cool, so we all know who she is at this point. So it's her at Joe's Pub in 2000 with the wonderful Alex Rybeck as her music director, and the it is such a good cabaret album but her stories are genius not to mention the songs that she covers um she starts off with some people and then she does i mean she does a couple of things that i like she does wish you were here which i think is Mm. great she does malby and shire's autumn um and two second wish you were here reference in one i know that's that's gonna be the thematic thematic tie-in for us no no no. um then one of the things that i love that she does on the and one of the things sorry i'm like so excited about this album i need to calm down i love it take a breath uh, one of the things that I love that a lot of these cabaret artists do is they shine a spotlight on composers or shows that never necessarily got their due. And uh, we had this gentleman on the show, Larry Grossman. She sings oh. two Larry Grossman songs, uh, and uh, both with lyrics by Alan Fitzhugh. One is called I Do What I Can With What I Got, which was from uh, Paper Moon. Mm. Um, and then the other one is this amazing song called uh, Animal in the Pit. And it's like this six-minute number about a woman going through a divorce in Mexico. It is the weirdest fucking song I've ever heard of in my life, and it is absolutely amazing. Excuse my language. Um, There is a story in here. I kind of want to tell you the story, but I don't want to spoil her version of it. Um, She was doing uh, On a Clear Day You Can See Forever at the Sacramento Music Circus. I love it. With Jack Jones, the the, The the crooner. Jack Jones, oh, I, who you I love, right? I, I have records of his. I mean, I appreciate his crooning, you know. Yes. He so, could croon. Oh, God. I'm not going to tell you this story because I want you to listen to the album. Oh. I don't, I don't want to. I don't. Well, I just g- found a live one. It, it, I found a live one from 2013. Also okay. There, so, so the only thing I'm going to tell you is all you need to know is the story about Jack Jones is that 
he could not mem- <laughs> he couldn't, do it. He couldn't memorize lyrics. He couldn't memorize anything. So they were about to do Come Back to Me. And the way she says it is she goes, if you know this song, Come Back to Me. She said it's a list of w- modes of transportation for Daisy to come back to him. Right. Take a train, right. take a yes. car, take a bus, take a boat. And come one of, back to me. And one of the lyrics that just really screwed him back was like, come back on a mule. A mule. <laughs> and he couldn't remember this song. So she said, oh, so she, he made the stage manager in glow tape. Right, huge on the turntable, mule. Spell it out in glow tape. And she's like, the whole audience saw just mule glowing the entire time. And she said, we all had to act with this huge sign that said mule in front of us. (laughs) So she says, so (laughs) she goes, it's time for this opening night. It's time for this song. And it goes, ba-da-da-dum, da-da-da-dum, da-da-da-dum, da-da-da-dum. Intro, he doesn't sing. (gasps) <gasps> they're vamping and then oh, they no. just start playing the song <gasps> and instead of take a train take a car it's just dead silence with the music and all he would do is go come back to me music bum 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 come back to me he would only oh. and so she said what happened afterwards she said what happened and he said I don't know I don't know she said it, but it was written out there for you she said, Mule is on the stage. And he goes, yeah, but the, t- the turntable is upside down. So all I saw was Elam. No. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I gave that away. She tells it much funnier than I. But Elam and Jack Jones is one of the... Fu- I literally fell on the floor laughing. I think oh it's one God, of the funniest amazing. things ever. But one of the things I think is so impressive about her is she did not get success in musical theater and did not come to people's attention the way people do it now. I was at a showcase today. And yeah. it's so interesting to th- see that the way that people do it now is, is you have a show. If you're musical theater, you have a showcase. You then get an agent. The agent submits you. And then your career hopefully is launched. She literally had to play every single regional theater all across the country. Every single summer stock all across the country. Stories of her doing toilets and like, you know, like do, you oh, know, it was her, her and was it her and Barbara Walsh? Or right? Jim Walton. Oh, okay, yeah. Or somebody. It was her and like, yeah. I think it was her Jim Walton and her and Barbara Walsh that literally would clean the toilets yeah. at Wagon Wheel together. It was, in, it was in an old, yeah, it was in an old podcast. Yeah. So anyway, I just, I her, that sort of can-do attitude and that sort of positivity about the whole experience is really what I think makes this album special. So once again, it's a it's a very long-winded, but no, it's, it's, it's faith. All, that's I'm excited about and it. And thanks to Steve Tipton for the suggestion. It's faith yeah, thanks, Prince, Steve. A leap of faith. It's from 2000, recorded at Joe's Pub. Once again, um, it's a really fantastic album, and it's on Apple Music, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. And I'm looking at another one that she did called Total Faith from 2013. Yes, I have not heard that one. But I think what's also so fascinating is throughout the whole album, she goes, this is my first time ever doing a cabaret. She sounds like she's been doing it for years. Amazing. Um, And we keep trying to get her on the show. And um, eventually we'll do that and find a time in her schedule to make all that work. But um, we'll ask her about it. Uh, But it's a really wonderful album. Faith, Prince, A Leap of Faith. Good one. Good one. And check out mine, Act One, an autobiography by Moss Hart, the book. Uh, Amazing. Till next time. Bye, everybody. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Brown paper packages tied up with strings. 
These are a few of my favorite things. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 